0: Uh, we didn't record a side quest last week. I wanted to make sure we got something out this week, but also uh, we were planning to record a full episode and do like a, a draft of the, the Game Awards games. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I think Brian is, is taking some time uh, with uh, some, some urgent matters uh, that needed to be handled tonight, and uh, we hope everything is well. And uh, we will come back next week to discuss the game awards in earnest instead of drafting games. And uh, and it should be a fun time. But I don't know if you had any topics. I have a couple potentials. We could
1: talk more about 3D printing drums. How did it go? What do you mean? Well, you, pr- you printed a drum. I did. I... So, I and that came about because Corey had sent me a video of a guy who had 3D printed a drum, a snare drum on Reddit. And he was like, Look, man, this guy's doing two things that you love to do and combining them into one thing. And I was inspired to 3D print a drum. So I modeled one using my iPad, which, again, amazing in and of itself to be able to 3D model something on a tablet computer that I hold in my hands instead of having like some ridiculous workstation to like 3D model something in. Yeah. Um, Mr. Resnitch's class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pour some out. Yeah. Darth Vader, as they called him in my day. Um, <laughs> That man was so nice and people were so mean to him. I feel so bad. Yeah. he's uh, a very nice guy. But uh, yeah, so I was inspired to to do that. So I went on one of the drum sites that I've bought and bought and huh? who says bought that I've purchased, <laughs> uh, drum parts from in the past to repair my drum kit. And I started kind of choosing hardware, like what would I want to put on this drum just so I could understand some measurements for like hole placement and things like that. Figured it all out, did the math, figured out how to model it, did all the cuts and everything. Um, it took about six, uh, six and a half hours or so, almost seven hours to print the drum. It's a 10 by, s- I'm sorry, 10 by four. I said 10 by seven at first, but I cut it down. So it's a 10 by four snare drum. Um, The skinny boy. It, it, uh, yeah, it's a little guy. Um, it's going to be like a, like a side drum kind of thing, you know, like a, like a side snare. Um, for doing like breakbeats or whatever, I don't know. I mean, it'll, it, whatever the tonality ends up being, I, I don't really know what the tonality is going to be on it, just because um, it's uh, it, it it's made it's not made out of wood, so who knows? Um, yeah. But anyways, I I went on and I ended up actually purchasing all the hardware and stuff that I need to actually build it out because the I want to test out the shell that I did print to see what it ends up being uh you know how it ends up looking not necessarily i mean i can still i could i could get it all set up and see how it sounds too just to test it but um the final drum i'm probably gonna end up using a different material i just used pla for this test (coughs) yeah um i don't know how much that's gonna adjust like the the print time but
0: quite honestly that was the thing that i started thinking about when you showed that of like you know i i mean obviously as you're prototyping models and things like that you use whatever the hell you want, but in terms of, like, I mean, my my job, m- more on the side of used to be, was very particularly understanding, like, the material properties of different plastics. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, like, I'm curious in terms of the long-term durability of a drum kit, of the materials available to you what has like the best impact strength you know would be would be kind of the the thing that i guess impact strength in terms of the actual playing and then I think probably like uh, maybe it would be like a creep because of like the way that the snare like the not the snares but like the hardware that actually clips in the holes that you actually drilled Mm -hmm. where the, the things that keep the rim tight on the skin, the lugs, the lugs. Yeah. Like where the lugs are actually interfacing with the material, making sure that that's not going to like rip a hole as you're playing it over time, that type of thing. But really it just made me think of like, man, it'd be interesting to like print out the like ASTM and ISO standard test bars and actually do some sort of, tensile 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 strength and flexural strength and impact strength because
1: i we have the tools to measure those i could do that very easily i I don't remember which youtuber did it but i want to say it was um teaching tech did something similar where he made like a like a hook shape and he was hooking it and like pulling it with different materials to like test the tensile strength and like pla is not strong like it is it's made out of corn basically if i'm not mistaken um Okay. So it's kind of like a bioplastic in a way. Yeah. Um, It's not meant to be strong. It's like one of the cheapest materials to purchase and use on your 3D printer. And it happens to be one of the most easy and forgiving to play with. So that's why I have a lot of it. Um, Yeah. But for doing like actual, you know, like parts that are going to be uh, in use, you know, for production i guess or however like you know actual manufactured 3d printed goods you want to use stuff like asa or abs which is what you know abs is what is in most automotive plastics you know yeah that's Um, like an engineering level plastic yeah which is why they tell you you want to ventilate and everything when you're using that stuff because the fumes from it can be pretty bad for you Mm -hmm. um but yeah like that was i was thinking about the tensile strength of everything and just trying to figure out like okay you know is it is it going to matter? And the reality is, I don't know how much, like, you're not supposed to, even on my current drum set, I or my, my custom kit that co- I lent to Corey, actually, I had over-tightened the lugs in, into the shell, and it caused some of the lugs to bend inward, so the, the post that's inside of the lug pulled the outer shell of the lug inward because I had over-tightened the screws. So, clearly, I put too much tension on that screw don't want to do that. So I'm not going to do that for these. Like I'm not going to tighten them that tight. Um and then in regards to the lug holding the head on the skin or the 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 head on with the rim on the drum, uh I think for a snare drum, that is the only drum where I would have a concern over tension and like tensile strength. Yeah. But toms and bass drums tone, right? Yeah. Yeah, toms and bass drums it like it's gonna change your note but like no one is cranking their tom tom yeah unless you're a weirdo playing <laughs> like not, if you're doing weird it's not like a timpani where you're yeah unless you're playing like some drum kit that has 15 toms and you happen to have one that's like six inches and is like really high pitched and you want it that way like i don't yeah. i don't know it, you playing some ridiculous you're- prog rock band you know yeah um so, I don't, I don't see it being an issue for the Toms. It's definitely something I'd have to reconsider for a snare drum. And, I mean, the the guy online did his in polycarbonate, which I could get polycarbonate. It is much more expensive and theoretically more difficult to use. Um, but my printer, being what it is, a Voron 2.4, one of probably the best engineered 3D printers in the world, I would think, at this point, at least on a... Uh, you know, uh, individual person grade level consumer level product um, it sh- it shouldn't have any issues yeah. but I think um, I- I'm going to have to ventilate which is something I haven't had to consider because PLA isn't terrible for you it's not great but it's not nearly as bad as it is ASA or ABS or anything like that and usually when I'm printing anyways I'm not sitting up in the room while it's going I just let it go and then I walk out and you know, whatever. But, um, and that's the other thing is like, I could, I could keep these, you know, one of my thoughts was to how, how can I monetize 3d printers? I t- we talked about this last time. Like, how do I monetize this? Yeah. Like I could monetize making drums for people if I had it, you know, if it got, it became cool enough, like people would be like, oh, that's really cool. A 3d printed drum, you know, and you figure out a way to make them affordably, but then you also figure out a way to make some that are more boutique and cool and expensive and that you can actually, like, make money on. And, you know, the snare drums could be, you know, if I'm making a whole kit of these 3D-printed drums, the snare drums might just be the drum that's made out of the nicer material, and anyways, and made to be able to withstand more tensile strength and stronger stuff, because that's theoretically the drum you're hitting the most, bass drum being the second. But, again, even with the bass drum, you're not hitting a bass drum the same way you're hitting a snare drum, so um yeah just like as i'm as i'm sitting here modeling this thing and printing it off and everything i'm thinking to myself like oh i could do something like the tom's shoes thing where i could sell boutique 3d printed snare drums and people could buy them and then i donate a drum to a school you know or something like that like
0: and i think like that's just i think the the idea of like i think there's a lot of people out there that think of it like oh i buy a drum set right you get a set of drums but once you get into that echelon of like oh i actually play drums there's so many people that have like a snare that's specifically like this is the snare that i want and it might not well, even, have the shell like the
1: other even drums just in my set. recording studios in general will have yeah. multiple snare drums on hand they may have Franken- a house Steins. drum kit yeah. yeah they may have like a house drum kit or two or three but they will have like a wall of snare drums, like the big studios will. You know, depending yeah. on the sound that you want, different metals, different woods, uh, you know, different weights of um, rims that are on them that create different levels of choke on the drum. You know, there's a lot, a lot of variables to take into consideration. And so that's that's another thing is like, you know, this this drum that I printed was only a quarter inch thick, but you know, I could print one that's. An inch thick, you know, and that would be roughly equivalent to like, I don't know, like maybe a a 30 ply snare drum, you know, a 30 ply, meaning it's got 30 plies of wood creating the shell. So, you know, we could make bigger drums like that. They take longer to print. They cost more, you know, that sort of thing.
0: But, yeah, I
1: mean, I mean, to say,
0: like, I think it's scalable in a way of like, oh, if you just start with a snare drum and then maybe eventually you move to a full set for like people who want to pay a high premium or something. Yeah, like that, or for just, sure. Like,
1: but I also yeah. don't know if like you want to have a 3d printed drum kit necessarily as like your main kit that you play with, like at big, ge- like this isn't, you're not playing an arena rock tour with a 3d printed drum set, or maybe you are. I know the drummer from panic at the disco has a 3d printed snare drum that he uses on tour. Like, well, and I mean, who knows? Like
0: sometimes even like if you're, If your drums are triggered live anyway, which I don't know who does that. Somebody probably does. Kind of sucks. But at the same time, then it doesn't matter exactly what it sounds like. Or I feel like in some cases you go for that look. And like if you're fucking Chad Smith, you can get the... You have an acrylic drum set that you can bring along and put flashy lights on or whatever the fuck you want to do. But making something like that more affordable to somebody... Like if you... If you were in mod orange and you had a full drum orange drum set, like you wanted something that's like fucking nuclear orange or it lights up under like black light or something like that, you could 3D print that, and maybe it doesn't sound the best, but if, right. in a live in a live setting anyway, things rarely,
1: if ever, sound as good. So, well, well just so you know, the mod orange drum kit was actually. Psychedelic mod orange and did yeah. glow under blacklight. <laughs> okay,
0: <laughs> I don't know if I ever saw it with the blacklight on it or not,
1: but it was like that's the awesome. the actual wrap that was on like both the the kit that I practiced with, with which was an actual like 1970s Ludwig mod orange, or the one that we played shows with, which was a 1990s reissue. Um, they both glowed ridiculously under blacklight. They that's and awesome. that was the nature. It was it was uh, there they were should. three. There were three different uh, mod kits from Ludwig in that era of drumming, and it was there was mod orange, mod citrus, and I think I can't remember the last one, but it was like like a galaxy mod or something like that. That was like black and red with the same swirls and stuff. Very cool colors for sure. Um, The citrus was a yellow, and it looks it's like an acid yellow green combo. (laughs) It's it's ridiculous. It looks it looks sweet. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like it's it this. I was thinking, like, this This could be the sort of thing where I make these boutique drums for people who want them, but then also, like, like I said, donate one to, like, a school program or, like... Because I was, I was considered, when I was teaching drum lessons, like, you know, what if I ran into a kid who couldn't afford a drum kit, but he wanted to take lessons, you know, I would love to be able to, like, have a thing where I'm donating drum kits, like, to kids like that, or... You know i like i was considered going I, i'm always looking at garage sales like when they pop up on facebook to see if like anybody's getting rid of any drums for that exact purpose of like you know refurbishing the kit and then figuring out a way to like give it to somebody who wants to learn how to play drums you know yeah and this is this is something where like i feel like i could turn this into that sort of thing where i'm funding my own like charitable organization through the sales of like other drums like no, to cool. people, yeah, to people who want them. Cause I assume I'm going to finish this one and then, like, all of my drummer friends on Facebook are going to be like, hey, uh, uh, yeah, I need one of those. What's <laughs> that going to cost me to have a custom 3D printed <laughs> drum made, you know? Which I'm limited by the size of my 3D printer. It, I think I can maybe get an 11 inch drum, like 11 inch diameter at max, cause it's only a 300 millimeter build plate. Um, and you got to have some room on there but yeah i uh yeah it'll it'll be it'll be interesting because i was also shopping other 3d printers that have bigger capabilities because i'm like well if of i'm course. gonna make a drum kit like i'm gonna need a bass drum like and a bass <laughs> drum is like, well, like 16 said, inches minimum like you, you scale up you start small yeah. and scale up so yeah, start with a bunch of piccolo side snares and figure it out
0: from there. So yeah, make make one of those little sets of things you play with like a tiny mallet. That's like, right. four different notes.
1: <laughs> Go from there. Yeah. So no, that's that's, that's cool. my that's my latest 3D printing adventure. Good luck on your journey. Uh, yeah, I mean you'll I be in the loop because I got to yeah. show Andy all the cool stuff I print. Yep. So you had other um, topics you wanted to talk about. What do you got?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, there's one, uh, just a cool show that we're currently watching. That's on Hulu. Uh, it's a Hulu. It's an FX on Hulu show, which is like the Bear. Uh, so you know it's quality. And I know Fargo's also running right now. Some people say this season of Fargo is pretty good, but uh, uh, it's called A Murder at the End of the World, and it's okay. by these creators, um, Brit marling and um zal but manglish um and they made a show called the oa on netflix which was kind of an interesting science fiction situation got canceled after two seasons uh very infamously uh, i don't know how much i would say it is worth watching because of the fact that they didn't get to finish the story but a murder at the end of the world is a seven episode mini series that they're doing um fx on hulu and uh it's it's very cool it's basically like <sighs> true crime gen z kids solving murders you know kind of situation yeah. but not like not like in the like procedurally kind of situation it's it's much more science fiction-y than that, and, like, combined with, like, uh, you know, hyper elite Facebooky like people wanting to bring people together, and, uh-oh, a murder happens at the summit kind of situation. Yeah. So, worth checking out. There's only f- three or four episodes out right now. They come out every Tuesday, and there's seven total coming, so check it out it's called a murder at the end of the world uh and it's very good so far so
1: is is there anybody like are there any big names tied to it um
0: clive owen plays the like mark zuckerberg of the of the facebook uh and he's probably the biggest name thus far um Britt Marling, who's one of the creators, also plays a role. And she played a role in the OA as well. And um, I I like her quite a bit. And and she's notable for, like, she's got very high science fiction type stuff that she likes to write and make and produce. Um, And so I like a lot of what she likes to work with. The only other person who's, like, kind of known as emma corin she played diana in like season four of the crown i think or season three of the crown um but that's really all that you would know her for so uh no huge names other than like clive owen but even him he's not like he's not massive but he's a pretty notable celebrity so uh but it's it's good it's very good I'm right on Uh, the other thing I was going to talk about, I watched, do you, have you ever watched any H-Bomber guy? I think Rick showed us, tried to show us one of his videos when we were at PAX the first time. Um. I don't remember. It's this, he, he has a, he has a video about, uh, I think it's like Fallout, why Fallout 3 sucks or something like that. Okay. And like, I remember bristling at it at the time because I fucking love Fallout 3, but like... I came back to his videos pretty late last year and watched that one. And he does one about why Fallout New Vegas is one of the greatest games ever. And they're really good companion pieces. And he kind of turned me around. Like, not that I okay. didn't like New Vegas, but he makes some really compelling arguments. But anyway, he's like a YouTuber. He makes these very, very long video essays. Like, now they're very long. He started out at like 5 to 15 minute videos. He put out a video two days ago that is four hours long (laughs) and like I saw it on YouTube last night and I was like, Oh, I need to start watching this. And I like, I was ready to stay up until two, two AM to finish it. I, I cut myself off at midnight. I was like, I got like halfway through it. He made a video that's all about people plagiarizing other people on YouTube Okay. And like topically he covers a pretty like wide gamut of like there's this one woman who's like making videos uh about um you know you would say conservative talking points like the anti-vax movement and things like that. Yeah who is quite literally just watching documentaries and then spouting them verbatim and sometimes stealing footage from them in her videos and she's making thousands of dollars on Patreon each month thousands of dollars on Patreon just just regurgitating Netflix documentaries like she did ones on the fire festival from Netflix and Hulu barely even, like, notes that they were sources for the video, but, like, is blurring logos out of the corner of
1: footage to use it in her videos. I, I don't even know what to say. I know. It's
0: it's incredible. It's incredible. And he, so he, he not only talks about her, there's another man named James Somerton, Who is uh, a, he's a gay man who talks about like queer and LGBT representation in movies. And he had a couple of allegations of plagiarism levied against him last year. And he posted some apologies and like took some videos, videos down and put them back up with like crediting added to them and things, different things, different stuff like that. He spends two out of the four hours of that video showing a fucking CVS receipt of how much plagiarism this guy has committed on his YouTube channel. Like, simply just let me take this phrase he said and throw it into Google and I've found the original article that he's plagiarizing. And this is a man who not only was making thousands of dollars on Patreon each month, he also, like, crowdfunded a movie studio to start making movies and he got like sixty eight thousand Canadian dollars from his fans to do this last year and he has not made a single movie since. <laughs> He's like moved on from projects that he started up and was like, oh this one's not gonna work out so I'm gonna move on to something else. Right. He's swindled people out of their money. Like Fans who are giving him money, he's just completely swindled them out of it. And it's just, it's mind blowing. It's just opened my eyes to the idea that, like, there are people that are taking advantage of the fact that, like, nobody reads books anymore. And they're just going to speak a book verbatim into a camera and then make thousands of dollars off of it. (laughs) it's it's incredible it's like disheartening it's horrible it's insane that people get away with it so the good news is is that that James Somerton guy has literally nuked his YouTube nuked his Discord his Patreon is gone he's no longer making money off of Patreon because his Patreon page is just Poof vanished in thin air like can no longer extract money from his fan base because apparently the entire Patreon and discord just started to melt down as soon as this video came out (laughs) (laughs) like this guy had somebody who was listing as a writing partner and he used these videos where he's like. I would never plagiarize, and let me tell you I now have a writing partner. He comes from academia, and in academia, if you plagiarize, you're done. You get fired, you're like it's not you get expelled, you're you're screwed. So he would never do this. He's like teeing up this guy to be the fall guy for his scripts that are all completely plagiarized. Right. Apparently that guy was somehow unaware of the plagiarism being committed by his writing partner. And as soon as this video pointed out the fact that this guy must not know, because H uh, Bomber guy was like reading Discord notes of the script producer, like posting like, "Oh, this is a part that we wrote," and blah 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 blah. And guess what? It was plagiarized. He didn't know that it was plagiarized. He thought that his writing partner wrote it.
1: I wonder how much of that stems from AI
0: none like, of it large is language the most models? terrifying thing it's not like those models would do a better job than these people were doing of plagiarizing is the crazy thing
1: but like better. wouldn't that be like the ultimate fail safe of like of like uh guarding against plagiarism in a way of like just blatant like the you know you tell a large language model like hey i want a a, a piece about topic a and i want it written in the style of author a b c d and then it instead of like making something up it just spits out an article like oh i'll hear you know here's the article from so and so about that like well number
0: one that's i mean he talks about he talks about generative AI in at the end of the video and is basically just like, look, this is going to be a problem because all of these models the only thing that these models are are just plagiarism machines they are taking right. previous works and regurgitating them out in different ways as modified by the users right? He even like he even did something like, please write a piece about this as H bomber guy. And he wrote it, he like reads it off and he's like, Oh my God, it have got these things that I say all the time. Correct. Because it's ingested his like YouTube, uh, closed captions that he's got posted on his videos right. or whatever. Right. So like the, he, he does go on to show in that. He's like, even when you ask it to rephrase these things, uh, like, take please take this because you can paste text into Chat GPT and say, "Hey,
1: yeah, I uh, want this all rephrased this in a
0: way that's yeah, exactly." It's written in a coherent manner, but it's usually not anything that people would describe as good writing in a lot right. of ways. Like it's, it's not good prose, but it's functional,
1: right? But and it makes you... you go like, this all makes you think, like, is this inevitably, like, the future of some of these large language models, like, just becoming these full-on It's literally plagiarizing- the, the death of real information.
0: <laughs> like, it is... It's horrifying. I was just thinking about that, because, like, this is all stuff that you could currently debunk with a quick Google of a phrase. Yeah. And eventually... The internet is just going to be so filled with the regurgitated information from different from the wrong are, source, yeah, from content farms and other wrong sources and all this type of shit. You might not even be able to debunk those types of posts or videos or whatever anymore. But like, it's. It's horrifying.
1: It's like glimpsing into the void and seeing nothing stand I mean, back how how much do these large language models actually think about that? Like, you know, oh, how much does OpenAI think about this or Google or Microsoft or anybody like think about like exactly this situation? They have they have to, right? Like I that's, hope you, like, you would like I, I've hope been, so. I've been listening to Hard Fork Quite a bit. Which, if you know, you're not familiar, it's the New York Times podcast about the. Uh, it's it's basically all about AI, like yeah. for the for the most part, or just I mean like AI and AI centric technologies. And like, I can't remember the phrase. I think it's P Doom. Like, let me let me look it up and see. Yeah, P Doom meaning the world economy. No, wait, hold on. Is that it? Yeah. The New
0: York Times put his P doom at five percent. He's betting one in a twenty chance that AI turns on us and does a catastro- and does catastrophic harm.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's and this so like when he brings on anybody related to AI to talk, they they always ask him like what's your P doom? And every mm-hmm. single one, every single person has an answer <laughs> and they're all like within that like twenty percent ish area. Like, there's yeah. a 20% chance this actually, like, ruins everything. Like, ruins the entire world.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just... It's weird. It's, it's like watching the few the the dingy gross fucking future of blade runner become yeah. real in front well, and, of our and, eyes y- and
1: it makes you like me i mean i was thinking about it like a week or two ago when all that stuff was going down with open ai and they mm-hmm. they ousted um sam, sam altman or whatever his name is yeah. and and then like brought him back within a couple of days because of whatever and the whole reasoning for the board getting rid of him was that he wasn't being honest with them or something like that and like what Everyone is the behind
0: the scenes argument of like what, yeah, button, what, ex- what button was he threatening to push that was yeah, going to did, fucking What launch did Sky Sam
1: Altman at? say or do that led them to be like, um, something is awry here? Or
0: like, or what were they what were they asking him to do that he was refusing to do? Because yeah. they wanted it to happen for money reasons or whatever, and he—that's the thing—unethical. The, like the board, knows,
1: the right? board was uh, was a profit board, as far as I know. Yeah. Like they were, they were completely like against profiting off of the company and its technologies, but the company itself was for profit. Yeah. So, yeah, I still, I, I haven't caught up on exactly where that's gone yet. I still, I need to listen to the latest episode of Hard Fork, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild, man.
0: Yeah it it sounded it sounded mostly like Microsoft has poised themselves to all but subsume OpenAI in a lot of ways as like the major shareholder or whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, the last I heard was Sam Altman was going to move to Microsoft in six 600- hundred. Seven hundred of the seven hundred seventy employees had signed a thing saying they will also move to Microsoft with Sam if that's the case, and also yeah. the board needs to resign immediately. Like, <laughs> Jesus, it was yeah, it was crazy. But that's this all—all all this plagiarism stuff sounds a lot like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think H. kind of—if
1: you think about it though, too, even just uh, like internet content in general, like think about like BuzzFeed. Like BuzzFeed for the longest time, and I haven't read anything from BuzzFeed in a long time either. But in general, their whole shtick was, okay, let's comb Reddit for a topic, and then we're going to take all of the top twenty responses, and and we're going to post that as like as a top twenty list on BuzzFeed, and it becomes a Facebook like, you know, fucking
0: slideshow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, but now, now that's like everything is that way. Like all of the internet, like all of the content on the internet is done that way. It's all, and it's all from combing Reddit. So maybe Reddit was in the right for being like, nope, we're going to cut everyone off from the API unless they pay us because you're clearly, you're clearly combing us for content and we're not getting anything out of it. So. So now please manually scrape us with your human eyes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. and, And I'll be honest. I was mad at Reddit for a minute because I was like, ah, I don't like the Reddit app. I really like the Reddit app that I use, but the official one sucks. Yeah. Um, and then my, my Reddit app that I use relay for Reddit was like, listen, um, it's ninety nine cents a month if you want to use our app, like and it, and they gave you a meter that tells you based off of your API usage, like how much how you much would have. You're to, costing, yeah. <laughs> like your return on investment. And, and they were they were like you fall into the ninety nine cent like uh, tier, and I'm like I can handle a dollar a month for Reddit. Like I get enough yeah. enjoyment out of Reddit that it was totally worth it. So yeah, I, like but I that's miss, I miss
0: mine. Apollo never came back, unfortunately, but.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a shame, because that was um, everyone's favorite. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh, that's crazy, man. I don't know if I have have it in me to watch a four hour YouTube video. I don't think it, I have that.
0: You know what the one the one thing that I will say and one that I think you would enjoy more if you do end up taking any sort of um, look down the rabbit hole of H Bomber guy, um. Let me take a look so I can find the title. The one that he put out last year was the one that actually like hooked me. Then made me go back and reevaluate the Fallout ones. Um He's got <laughs> It's a two hour so this is half of it. It's a two hour two hour video called Roblox underscore oof dot mp three. And <laughs> it is two hours about how do you remember that show? Do you ever remember the show on G4 or uh, Tech TV called The Electric Playground? No. Okay. It's this like, it's a weird, it's a very, it was a very weird show. It was two guys that were reviewing games. One of them was Victor Lucas, and the other was Tommy Tallarico. Okay. And like, Tommy Tallarico is this like dude who was known for. Working on, uh... Let me see what his Wikipedia actually says he's known for. Uh... An American video game composer, musician, television personality, live show creative director, and producer. He's the creator of Video Games Live. That, like, concert series. Okay. That, where they play video game music in front of you live. And, um... He, uh, this H Bomber Guy video is all about how he claimed that this very popular oof sound in Roblox was actually a recording that he made for the game Messiah. And from there here's here's directly from the wikipedia article in november 2022 british youtuber harris h bomber guy brewis uh, published a video essay in which uh, which documented many high profile false claims that tallarico made concerning his career he just falls down this two-hour rabbit hole of like here's Tommy Tallarica lying about getting fucking Guinness world records of like different (laughs) video game related. It's just the most like, it's like a fever dream looking at this dude's life and what he's lied about for no good reason. It's, it's so crazy. Like, yeah, H bomber guy. It's, he's got a lot of videos. Some of them are longer than others. Um, He's got one about why Skyrim is garbage. It's 40 minutes long. (laughs) Haven't watched that one yet. I should watch it because it's probably incredible. He's just, he's a really funny dude. And honestly, like his videos, he's like posting videos less and less often and they're getting longer and longer and they're becoming more and more important to like actually pay Pay attention to. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's incredible. So. Check out like, like guy, how much add. of
1: it is meant to be like satire and then how much of it is like, you know, honest, I, like journalism, I guess. I don't know. It, <laughs> what that's the you thing. Call it? He's like, all,
0: like he he gets to a point in this most recent one where he gets very serious and dour about it. And that's not normally his voice. But I think he he found himself so far down the rabbit hole of YouTube plagiarism That he realized he's arrived in a place that's very, like, precarious and, like, scary and people should be aware of and, like, all this type of stuff. He's usually a very, like, I'm just gonna fucking make fun of this dude who's, like, upset that his oof sound made it into Roblox from Messiah, which came out 20 years ago. Like, who cares? So he's very much... He has that tone but i think he's he's gradually like finding his way out of that tone into like much more like what the fuck
1: are you guys doing like i mean i can't believe he's got so when i look at it when i look at his user page on youtube uh the for you postings so like curated for me number one is the plagiarism in youtube video then fallout new vegas and the plagiarism in youtube video in two days, has amassed 3.8 million views. It's incredible. And two incredible. years ago, when he posted the Fallout New Vegas one, that's been two years now, it has amassed 9.7 million views. Yeah. So, clearly, this this one, this plagiarism one is spreading a bit he's,
0: faster. He's got a trajectory, for sure. No, and I forgot to mention, one of the, fir- the first thing that he brings up in the plagiarism one, do you remember the dude who was working at IGN, who was found to have plagiarized his Dead Cells video review? Yes, I, think we I very briefly talked about it. Yeah, the yep. first his first subject of takedown is that guy, <laughs> and then he ge- and then he heads to the anti-vax woman who made the Firefest documentaries as well, and then he ends up on um on the 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 dude who talks about LGBT in film. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's quite a long four hour journey, but I think it's very worth it for where it goes. And it's just the brazen fucking plagiarism that's happening in front of people's eyes is just staggering. It's crazy. I was, I could not, it was so hard for me to stop watching it last night, but I did because I'm an adult and I need to wake up and do things in the morning, but.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know when I'll have the time to watch this stuff, but I, I, am intrigued to do so. Now I'll have to figure start that out Start with
0: something small. Yeah, honestly, start with some of us. I mean, honestly, shit.
1: I, I pay for YouTube Premium, so I could just put it on like a podcast and listen to the, it. Like how much? Honestly, how important is the video? Like I'm assuming not terribly.
0: That's a lot of what I like. I. That's how I listened to a lot of that video this morning, and it works okay. But there are certainly times where I'm like, oh, I gotta rewind and look at that because I want to see the shit that he's highlighting this one works a lot really well because it's mostly him playing video clips of these people talking and then literally just highlighting the entire page of a book that they're fucking plagiarizing and it's just yeah so that one this one you can kind of listen to more than others but okay yeah i'll, I'll have to i'll have to check it out yeah i think it's it it I don't know if you need to start with the four-hour one. You could go back to the Fallout one and maybe yeah. see how you feel about his style and everything. But that, um, that
1: might be a little rough.
0: Yeah the 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 Fallout Three one is is still ninety minutes long. But there's other ones on here that are like forty minutes. So yeah.
1: Anyway, I also I just I wanted to mention the Code Seven album too. Yeah. Did you give uh-huh. it a? I, listen. I've listened. I've listened to it a few times now, and it is very good. It is not "Dancing Echoes Dead Sounds," but it it's uh it's cl- clearly built off of that. Mm-hmm. But it definitely has a more. I'm gonna call it ominous tone. Like it's not as like there. Are, there are songs on "Dancing Echoes Dead Sounds" that are very uplifting and like yeah, they just like they they physically like do something to you. They make you want to just like, you know, I don't even know. Uplifting is the best word I could come up with, but I don't feel like this album, which is called Go Let It In uh, by Code 7, is the same in that regard. I don't feel as though it's uplifting per se, but I think what they're doing musically is very good and interesting. I also think my only like negative criticism cuz I don't, I'm not going to call anything I previously said negative by any means but my only negative criticism is I think the singer his name's Jeffrey Jenkins if I recall correctly uh who and he's been on a a few other podcasts talking about the new album and aliens and things cuz he he believes he's seen UFOs and stuff which is crazy but um it must be good pals with uh Tom DeLonge. Yeah, probably. I don't I don't know, but um <laughs> the negative thing I will say is is I feel like he Feels the need to always fill some of the space with vocals Mm. and there are moments in which you really just need to let the music do its thing like there's always a time and place for vocals but it's not every moment in a song and this is something I feel like I struggled with with uh, the Gamma Foundation when I was singing in that band was always because the guitars were so interesting and the drums were so interesting and the bass was so interesting I always felt like it was my job to fill in everything else, like to, like to, as the vocalist to also be just as equally interesting as those things at the same time. So you always had this weird competitive, like nature of like layering different elements of music. And I feel as though he kind of is doing that in this Mm. when there are moments where he should just let the music breathe and, and he should just like take a step back. But beyond that, it's very good. The art direction for all their new merch and the album itself is awesome. Um, I haven't actually cracked the vinyl that I got out of the case to see. I don't even remember which vinyl version I got. I know they yeah. released like three or four different variations um, with colorings and things like that. But uh, it's cool. It's it's a good album. It's worth a listen for sure. Um, and it kind of got me falling down this rabbit hole of listening to other like early 2000s bands members talking about their like you know touring experiences and things and again i listened to jeffrey jenkins talk on a podcast which i again i can't remember the name of the podcast now because it like it was it was some weird alien dude podcast where (laughs) they were they were just excited to have the guy from code seven on um (laughs) but i i started listening to a podcast called was it pure pleasure no, Pure Pleasure's the newest one that he's he's on, uh, but I have that in my queue to check out his episode of Pure Pleasure. There's another one called What Is This One? Welcome to the Scene, and they've got a dude from American Football on there, and they've got Jolie Lindholm from The Darling Fire, who I've spoken about here, and Jason Gleason from Further Seems Forever on an episode, and Josh Hagquist from The Beautiful Mistake, which was a band I was obsessed with in like 2003. And then, uh, Joe Mustin from Beloved, and I don't think anybody knows who Beloved is except for me and, like, one other person, like, like, I, I know very few people that know that band, um, but it kind of got me, like, I, I like listening to these stories and things, and, and that Welcome to the Scene podcast, they had one of the guys from Hopes Fall on, and Hopes Fall is one of my favorite bands, and, uh, talking to him, like, he's, he was one of the guitarists, and, and, and I got to hear how the band fell apart originally, and yeah. it was, like, I, I never really knew what had happened, Yep. but it was really cool to finally hear him be like, yeah, I know the last straw was when the label told me I couldn't have my favorite song on the album. And he's like, that's when I was like fucking him out. And I'm like, that's, I would leave for the same reason. Like I would, I would cancel, like I would just, I'd drop my label in a heartbeat if they told me I couldn't have my favorite song on the album. So I don't blame that guy for doing that, you know? And it was just cool to hear him talking about it. So, uh, yeah, check out some of those other podcasts and listen to those if you're into the early '90s, like screamo, post-hardcore, hard, you know, hardcore metalcore scene. I guess um, again, pure pure pleasure is one of them. A welcome to the scene is another one, and then I I gotta find this other. It, it's like I can't remember what it was called. It's like it's like some weird like. Grubcast or something like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find it Bo- right now. The Bogcast was one that I. Yeah, maybe that's at the Bogcast. Yeah, that sounds about right. Let me see if I can pull it up in their in their page because they posted about it a few days back. I think it yeah, was the Bogcast. This is definitely. <laughs> yeah, did you talk about the aliens and shit? I just see the.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna share my screen with you right now. <laughs> This is their it, YouTube page. Because it's ridiculous. Yeah. Look at the banner at the top. Yeah. Everybody go to youtube.com slash thebogcast. B O G C A S T.
1: Yeah. Well, it's in what the only reason, like, it's, I'm glad this put me down this, uh, this rabbit hole of, of listening to these sorts of podcasts because it, uh, It's allowing me to, um, that's incredibly distracting listening to that YouTube video go at the same time. Uh, it's allowing me to find, that's not not even playing for me. It was auto playing for me. I could hear everything. It was driving me nuts. (laughs) Uh, but I'm glad Jeff, Jeff did this other podcast, pure pleasure, which I haven't listened to yet, but I'm hoping this guy who, if you look at pure pleasures, like episode listing, they have hundreds of episodes. With all kinds of great bands, and um, I'm hoping they're a better interviewer than the alien dude. Is all I'm, <laughs> or they, because
0: they care, they care more about the subject matter that you do.
1: <laughs> yeah, the alien guy wasn't really drawing out any of the information I wanted to hear about, you know, the rescue. Their pre, their their, you know, their first full length. Like he, he got out of them like, oh, you used to be a hardcore band, and you put out like two albums as a hardcore band, and then you released this other album called The Rescue, and it wasn't like that, and he like. He just didn't pull out any additional information about, like, I want to hear about, like, what it was like recording that album. And, like, when you toured for that album, what was it like? And things like that. So uh, I'm hoping the Pure Pleasure podcast oh, yeah, is more see, like that. I see
0: Josh Eppard and Travis Stever of Coheed fame. Uh,
1: yeah, there's, uh, some, there's some good... They've he's 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 interviewed a lot of really cool people, so I'm excited to listen to that one.
0: Skylar Kroom from He is Legend. I don't know who that is in He Is Legend. That, I'm pretty but. sure that's the singer. Okay. Um
1: but yeah, and in, the uh here's the scene or whatever that one what did, what do they call that one, F- podcast? Here where is it again? Welcome, welcome. Welcome to, to the, the scene. scene. Yeah, the the guy who uh is the host of that, I believe is like a psychiatrist of some sort. And he hasn't done very many episodes. It's only been around since, like, May of, of uh, 2022. Um, Licensed men-
0: mental health therapist Jeremy Houtsma.
1: Yeah, but, like, that's... So, if you think back to that era of music, that's when a lot of this, like... um, There was a lot of, like, talk about suicide and, like, self-harm and things like that and it was very big in that scene you know to write love on her arms was an organization that kind of grew out of that scene of music yeah um a lot of their marketing and promotional materials looked like scene marketing and promotional materials a lot of the bands were promoting to write love on her arms and all that stuff um and so i find it interesting to have someone who you know th- this host is i think my age roughly so thirty between thirty seven and thirty nine I'm assuming, and he grew up in that scene as part of it and is now like interviewing these bands from that scene and he he like in the episode I listened to with the guitarist from hopes while it was his first episode that he did i don't like he i don't recall him diving into like any of the psychology of that or anything but i i'll find it i'm sure I'll find it more interesting as he goes on and develops his again it was his first episode so as he's developing his repertoire with his people you know where that goes with it because i think that's something that just kind of ran prevalent in the scene was this like self-harm and 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 things like that like a lot of these that's everybody was an emo kid you know like they yeah, all was, they yep
0: that's literally the genre of music, right? It's emo. But.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was kind of misnamed in a way and, and like stretched and whatnot. And there are, people, there are people who argue what is and is not emo or screamo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm one of those people that will tell you what is and is not emo because I'm a pretentious piece of shit like that. But, um, but yeah, it, it, I, I think it's going to be interesting listening to more of his podcast just to kind of hear some of that side of things come out but i i do like the behind the scenes especially when it comes to recording and like hearing how and why certain sounds came out the way they did and things like that similar to how conan o'brien had um uh dave grohl and uh chris Novoselic on from foo fighters and then uh i think it was butch vig was their producer for nirvana at one point um but listening to them talk about recording nirvana songs like 30 years later you know the time capsule or 40 (laughs) years later almost you know like it was just it's fascinating to hear them talk about how they got the sound that they got and like you know why certain things are the way they are on the recording or whatever and like you know critic critical response of the album from people from the label and all that like i just hearing that stuff is so cool to me Maybe because I never got to that point with any of my bands where I was like, you know, in the room where it happened, so to speak, and like seeing how the sausage was made or whatever. So, this is me getting a chance to see how the sausage was made. And I like that. Like, I think it's cool, especially regarding music. So, anyways. I think
0: it's, yeah, just another situation where like the, you know, that Strike Force 5 podcast was like the six people, the five or six people or seven people on earth. Who have all held the same job. Yeah. And there's not many people that have held that job. But then talking so shop
1: is did, did you hear that Taylor Tomlinson is now going to be part yeah. of Late Night? Yep. She's yeah, taking she's over, doing, like, James Corden's show or whatever, but it's yeah, they, not James
0: Corden's show. They're rebooting At Midnight. Yes, so
1: that's, the, that's like, what it
0: was. The Comedy Central show that Chris Hardwick kind of pioneered. I don't know that he creatively did anything. He would just hosted, I think, but um yeah, and Stephen Colbert's producing. Uh, yeah, and they're moving it new... to
1: CBS, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she's and she's awesome. She's really funny. So
1: I don't remember. I think it was Conan was talking about her or maybe no, it was uh it was Bobby Lee and um shoot, who's the guy he does his podcast with Bad Friends is the name of the podcast? Uh I shouldn't even listen to the podcast because it's so stupid, Andrew Santino. Andrew Santino, yeah, Yeah, they're so Bobby Lee. (laughs) That's (laughs) the thing is, if you want to hear someone make fun of Bobby Lee for an hour and a half, that's the best podcast for you because it's literally Andrew Santino making fun of Bobby Lee for being Asian. It's it is so ridiculous. (laughs) Um, but anyways, they were talking about Taylor Tomlinson, and they were just saying like, "This is great because she is such a great way to draw in." a younger crowd into late night television and this sort of this particular kind of comedic writing. And she's accessible by older people too, because she isn't necessarily like a filthy comic. Like, yeah, she has some like coming of age stories in her storytelling and and comedy routine, but like she's ultimately like a good girl, quote unquote, as they put it. And like, she's, you know she she has the ability to draw in people who otherwise wouldn't listen to comedy of of like younger comics, so to speak. So, um, there I'm excited for that too because I I like her her latest special on Netflix was per, it was it was great it was awesome. I,
0: yeah, I've only caught spare things here and there. I'm like,
1: she's incredibly band, funny, very she's funny, very funny, funny. So so yeah, uh, Code Seven, go let it in, and Taylor Tomlinson and Bobby Lee. And Andrew Santino, bad friends, don't listen to that podcast. Or listen to it. I don't know if you're into that. It's I kept getting fed little reels of them on Instagram and sending them to Jason and Corey and just dying laughing because <laughs> it's so offensive, but it's so funny. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. All right. That's longer than I thought we would go. So I think we're good. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on this side quest Uh, back to the main campaign next week.